fear. It creates such a visceral feeling, it, it can paralyze us and suck the joy out of everything that we hold dear. But it doesn't have to. We can fully enjoy the life we have and eliminate the fears that reach out and try to grab us. But it requires some new discoveries and some new perspectives, and we find all of it in the story of Jesus. So let's talk about it together. Question, what is most important to you? What are you most passionate about? Is it your family or your relationships? Maybe it's God and your faith. Maybe it's, it's your career or your future or your school. Maybe it's, you know, happiness or your country. All great things. Now, if I asked you another question, what is your greatest fear? What do you worry about the most? The answer would probably be very similar to your first answer, wouldn't it? What we treasure most often becomes the source of our greatest fears. And it's true whether we're, we're religious or not. Like if we treasure our family the most, then our greatest fear is that we'll lose them or we try to control it and we create like this drama in our family. If, if it's our job or our career or our future, then we start fearing whether or not, you know, we're going to keep our job, whether we start losing our edge, whether the, the economy goes down or if we'll be enough. And if it's happiness, oh, happiness is so fickle that if we base our life and our you know, our, our goals on unhappiness is like drinking salt water, right? It just might feel good at first, but it just gets worse and worse and worse. And then if, you know, it, our, we're passionate about our country, not a bad thing, but then we'll end up being afraid of anything and, and anyone who we feel threatens our idea of a ideal country. And even God and faith, like that, we can, we can end up becoming afraid of God and feel like we need to keep earning uh, him to like us and, and, and his attention because if, if we're not holy enough, well, then we'll lose his blessing, we'll lose uh, his care, or even worse, we'll end up down there. So what do we do? Like just become like the Jedi and, and shun all attachments? No. And this is where the story of Jesus is such good news because whoever you are and whatever brought you to watch this, Jesus invites us to experience the best of life without the fear that is usually lurking in the background. And he said we can find it in the kingdom of God, God reigning in the hearts and the lives of his people, God making us whole the way we're supposed to be and giving us true abundant life through his love. But we often miss it because we don't know where to look for it. We don't know what it feels like. We don't know what it looks like. See, it's the kingdom of God's values are so different than the values we're told are important. And often its priorities are so different than our priorities. So how do we find it? And how do we end up living in it daily? Well, to find the real kingdom of God, we have to discover who the king really is. And the apostle Peter, he found it. He experienced it. And he was commissioned to create a community of all races and genders and classes based on the kingdom of God. And as he got older... He had his friend Mark write down his experiences with Jesus. And in today's story that we're going to look at, we'll see people, including Peter, trying to grasp Jesus' true identity and what it really means to live in the kingdom that he's bringing. And at this point in the story, Jesus has uh, he's been teaching, he's been healing, doing a whole bunch of miracles. He had fed 5,000 people with just a few loaves of bread and some fish. He just challenged the religious establishment and their traditions and their rituals. He's shown that the kingdom of God is for everyone, even non-Jews. And now, as he's teaching in a very um, heavily Gentile area, a familiar problem arises. 
About this time, another large crowd had gathered, and the people ran out of food again. Uh-oh, here we go again. Jesus called his disciples and told them, I feel sorry for these people. They have been here with me for three days, and they have nothing left to eat. If I send them home hungry, they'll faint along the way, for some of them have come a long distance. Three days. Like, Jesus must have been an amazing teacher for people to sit there and go through all their food for three days. But again, here we go. Like, similar story to the 5,000, right? We have a big crowd and no food. And now, if you've been following along and you were you saw the, the episode about when he fed the 5,000 people, then we should probably know, like, have an idea what the disciples should have said when Jesus brought them this problem, right? It should have been like, you know what? Oh, yeah. Oh, no food? <laughs> no problem, Jesus. We remember from the last time. We know that you, you, know, you commissioned us and gave us your power to do things you do. So uh, why don't you keep teaching? And does anybody have any bread and fish? You know, okay, cool. We'll, we'll divide this. We know how to do it now. We'll pass it out. And Jesus, you get back to teaching. These people are fine. Or at the very least, they should have said, yeah, Jesus, we know what you can do. So, you know, here's some bread. Why don't you multiply it and, and, and feed everybody? And then we can kind of get back on to what we're doing. It's probably, I think, why Jesus brought up, he's, as you notice, he's the one who brought up the problem and said, I feel sorry. These people need food. Kind of like a test. You're like, hey guys, remember? Now's your chance. Like, you kind of failed that test. Now's your chance to actually put your trust in me and, and show that you're kind of getting what this whole thing's about. But sometimes we're slow learners. His disciples replied, how are we supposed to find enough food to feed them out here in the wilderness? And you're like, oh, duh, Jesus. I don't know. Like, I don't know. We sure got a problem on our hands, don't we? What are we going to do, Jesus? So, with what I assume was probably like a, a sigh, a head shake, maybe an eye roll, Jesus says, well, what do you have? Like, what, what kind of food do you have? And they're like, oh, you know, we don't have much. Here's, here's seven loaves of bread and, and some fish. And so he prays, and he has the disciples again pass out the food. And I kind of picture him like over looking at his disciples in the eye. And you're like, remember, this is how this is done. Everyone has as much food as they could eat, and then there's seven baskets left over of leftover food. And the, what we see is he did the same miracle for this Gentile crowd that he had done for the Jewish crowd, demonstrating once again that the kingdom of God is for everyone. And then they get in the boat, and they go back over to the Jewish side, and it's a fun time for all. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had arrived, they came and started to argue with him. Testing him, they demanded that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. When he heard this, he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why do these people keep demanding a miraculous sign? I tell you the truth, I will not give this generation any such sign. These guys, these Pharisees, must have been a blast at parties. Like they're waiting for Jesus and trying to trap him. They, these self-proclaimed guardians of Judaism are trying to put Jesus in his place. They're like, oh, you say you're bringing the kingdom of God. Well, what's, what, what credentials do you have? Prove it. Do a magic trick. Like, they weren't honestly curious, wanting to see Jesus do a miracle so they could put their faith in him and, and follow their true king. No. They had already made up their minds. If they wanted proof, they could have just asked one of the 5,000 people that he had feeded, fed. If they wanted proof, they could have just asked one of the 5,000 people that he had fed before or many of the people who saw him do the other miracles. In fact, some Pharisees had already seen Jesus do miracles. When the guy was lowered on the mat through the roof, Pharisees were there when Jesus told him to get up and walk. When the guy with the shriveled hand was healed, there were Pharisees in the synagogue when that happened. Like, they had seen it. 
They, they had the, all the proof that they needed. The problem wasn't that Jesus wasn't doing enough miracles. No, the problem was the kingdom he was bringing didn't look like the kingdom that they expected or even wanted. It didn't, it didn't look how they thought it should look. See, these, these guys should have been the first people to recognize who Jesus was. They had all the Jewish scriptures memorized, all the things that pointed to Jesus. That was their life, but they missed it. Because what they held most dear to them was their prestige and their position and their privilege that they got by keeping their religion pure. They wanted a king. They wanted a Messiah that agreed with them. They wanted a kingdom where they would be the privileged and they would be the honored because they're so holy and and keep the law so strictly. Where they would be the ones who are in and all those sinners and those Gentiles whom they looked down on would be out. But Jesus had been saying, God cares about your heart, not your religious laws and regulations. And in the kingdom of God, the least will be the greatest, and the greatest will be the least. And he says it's a kingdom where it's an all-inclusive kingdom. Even those sinners and those Gentiles you look down on, even they are equally welcome. See, Jesus is threatening their status quo and what they thought the kingdom of God should be. So they refuse to see who Jesus is. And what we think God's kingdom should be, can blind us to who Jesus really is. And so Jesus sees their stubbornness, and he refuses to jump through any of their silly hoops. He says, I will not give a sign to this generation. Meaning he sees the general population's way of thinking about God's kingdom, represented by these Pharisees, that it's, it's just so entrenched. It will never be changed. People want this religious king, or they want this um, political king, and they won't listen to what he's actually been saying about the kingdom of God. And these Pharisees, they just want to fight about what they think the kingdom should be instead of seeing what the kingdom actually is. So they missed it. And Jesus gives them exactly what they want. He sees that they'll never change their minds, that showing a sign won't change anything. In fact, when he did do miracles, they said it was he was using Satan's power to do it. And so he says, if you're not going to change, you're not going to believe it, then I'll give you what you want. And he leaves the area. So he got back into the boat and left them, and he crossed to the other side of the lake. But the disciples had forgotten to bring any food. They had only one loaf of bread with them in the boat. As they were crossing the lake, Jesus warned them, Watch out! Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod. Now, they'd probably been as a, as a rowing, like recounting everything that's kind of happened and processing. Jesus probably walking the guys through everything that's happened with them. The, the miracles, the, the uh, confrontation with the Pharisees. Maybe even possibly Herod beheading John the Baptist. And they're just trying to kind of wrap their minds around all of it. And Jesus kind of probably concludes that discussion by saying, look out for the, for the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod. I mean, like that thing that has made these two groups miss out on who I really am, look out for it. See, the Pharisees, like we just said, wanted God's kingdom to be about following their religion to the letter and, and cutting out anything and anyone who didn't fit the picture what they thought the perfect religion would be. And so in that, they, they had a fear of losing their religion, losing their position and their privilege. And it, and it made them put heavy religious regulations on the people and reject the people that Jesus loved. And Herod wanted God's kingdom a different way. He wanted God's kingdom to be a political kingdom where he, being the king, got to have, he and his family got to have the power and authority. So much so that some dirty prophet couldn't even tell them what to do and that they were wrong with God. And so his fear of losing political power made him kill John the Baptist. None of these groups actually cared about the kingdom of God. No, they were focused on maintaining their own kingdoms, 
which only leads to fear of losing what we hold most dear. If we are constantly worried about our own kingdoms, we will never enjoy the kingdom of God. And so Jesus is telling his guys, he's saying, don't miss out on what's happening here. Don't miss out on who I really am and what I'm, I'm really doing because you refuse to, to see the kingdom of God for what it is instead of what you think it should be. Let go of worrying about your own kingdom or you'll only create more fear and lose what you hold most dear in the first place. You'll lose what really matters. And since the disciples, you know, they've been with Jesus every day. They've seen the miracles. They're the ones who had the parables personally, privately explained to them. Like they totally get what Jesus is saying about this yeast thing, right? They, they totally understand, right? At this, they began to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. Jesus knew what they were saying. So he said, why are you arguing about having no bread? Don't you know or understand even yet? Are your hearts too hard to take it in? You have eyes. Can't you see? You have ears, can't you hear? Don't you remember anything at all? When I feed, when I fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread, how many baskets of leftovers did you pick up afterward? Twelve, they said. And when I fed 4,000 with seven loaves, how many large baskets of leftovers did you pick up? Seven, they said. Don't you understand yet? He asked them. The disciples had completely missed what Jesus was talking. He wasn't talking about bread. He's like, I'm not talking about bread. Like, guys, if you if we needed bread, what do you think I could have done with this one loaf for 12 of us? Like, you were there. You saw me do it twice. I'm talking about something even more important than bread, something that those miracles actually point to. Like, look at the evidence. You saw me do, you saw me feed people twice. You've seen all these different things. Don't you understand yet what's who I am and what's going on around you? Don't you understand what I'm doing? See, what they still couldn't understand was, when we discover the real Jesus, we discover the real God. And that's what the miracles pointed to. That's why Jesus could teach with such authority. That's why he could love with such compassion. He was bringing the kingdom of God, his kingdom to earth. The disciples, they, they'd enjoyed it. They'd enjoyed being with Jesus. They'd enjoyed and grown from his teaching probably. They had seen him do amazing things. They had done amazing things through his power and authority but they still didn't understand his warning about the Pharisees and Herod because they still didn't understand who he was and, and the kingdom of God that he was bringing. And this is where we enter the story. See, whether, whether you've been with Jesus for a long time or maybe you're just checking it out for the first time or you're beginning to maybe come back to understanding it, just like the Pharisees and Herod, we may think we're striving and fighting for good things, like our family, great, and career, and our, our country, and God, maybe even keeping our religion pure. But deep down, you know what we're really fighting for? Our own kingdoms. See, and as we sense that our imagined control is starting to slip, and it's, we feel like it's being threatened, that's when the fear begins to reach up its icy fingers and grab hold of us. Our expectations of what the kingdom of God should be and our fears of maintaining our own kingdoms can make, me, can make us miss who Jesus truly is. And when that happens, Jesus really becomes just like an add-on to our life uh, to help us get what we want. And, and we completely miss the fullness and the beauty of living in the kingdom of God now. But when we discover who Jesus really is and what his heart is really like, that's when we discover the kingdom of God. And his kingdom is so much better. It's not a kingdom of religious regulations and, and political power and, and personal gain. It's not a kingdom of fear and worry and stress and anger. 
The kingdom of God is the kingdom of love, peace, and joy. And to find it, we have to let go of our kingdoms and, and let our visions of what God, the kingdom of God should be, we should let those die. I mean, and allow them to be replaced by the king's vision of his own kingdom. And when we do, everything else that we hold dear will, will actually find their true meaning and we'll be able to enjoy them without the fear that can usually cling to them. See, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness and all these things will be added to you. See, in the, when we find the kingdom of God, it's when we, we find everything else. We, we're free to embrace real relationships without fear of being vulnerable and, and even death can't end relationships. We, we can enjoy our career and, and our school career and we can stop worrying about our future because Jesus is in it. We don't have to worry about success because we understand success doesn't depend on us. And in, and in fact, our definition of success even changes. And we can stop worrying and fighting about whether our side is winning or losing because we have a peace and a joy that real life can't, can't steal. And, we, and because we know that we're living in and for the greatest kingdom in the history of the cosmos. We don't need to rely on religious regulations to make God happy. We don't have to be afraid of God. We can follow Jesus and enjoy being fully loved and fully known and, and even liked by our Heavenly Father. And yes, life in the kingdom of God is not always easy. There will still be hard times, but we know that Jesus is in it with us and he will lead us and he will comfort it, comfort us and he will use it for good. So how do we do this? How do we discover the real Jesus and his kingdom? Well, I think there's, there's three things we can do. First, for the next month or two, we're gonna take a break from this Story of Jesus series, and we'll do a Christmas series because, I mean, we got to enjoy Christmas, right? So as we take that break, here's my invitation. Read through what we've gone through so far in this series. Read from Mark chapter 1 all the way to chapter 8, verse 21. Mark can actually, the book of Mark can actually be broken up into three acts, and what we just finished here with the don't you understand yet, he asked them, that kind of marks the end of act one. And so read all that up to there. And maybe if you, if you need help understanding what's going on, refer back to the episodes so far in this series. And the reason I'm saying this is because Mark wrote for a specific purpose. He wanted to show us who Jesus is and what his kingdom is like. And so as you're reading these, these chapters, ask, ask this question, these questions for yourself. Who is this man that Mark's trying to get us to know? Who is this man and what does the kingdom of God look like? that's what Jesus has been doing. He's been bringing the kingdom of God. What does that actually look like? Then, as we live our life, especially as we get hit the holiday season and we got to deal with family dynamics and all of that, evaluate whose kingdom? Whose kingdom? Am I worried? Am I stressed? Am I angry because this is about my kingdom or the kingdom of God? Does this decision, does this attitude, do these words come from my kingdom or do they come from the kingdom of God? And if Jesus is who he said he is, then we can trust that his kingdom is what he said it is. The path to discovering our true humanity, the best way for humans to live and flourish, the way to discover, enjoy, and share the full, abundant life Jesus offers all of us. It's the life we've been looking for all along. If Jesus is who he said he is, then we can let, we can let go of what we want our kingdoms to be. We can let go of what we think the kingdom of God should be and just simply 
enjoy the king and what his kingdom actually is. We are all invited to discover the identity of the king and enjoy his kingdom now and forever. In discovering the kingdom of God, we find everything that we've been searching for. Thanks for watching this week's content put out by Cross Creek Community Church. Uh, thanks for joining us on this journey through Mark, the story of Jesus. Uh, there will be lots of content for you available online, YouTube, and podcast. But also don't forget, we meet in person on Sundays at 4.30 in South Salem at 525 Idlewood Drive. So find out more on our website, yourcrosscreek.com. And we're just really glad to see you here online. Uh, send us your information via the welcome form. Say hello. Uh, request a Bible, request prayer, or join a small group. Uh, it's all online there for you. And we'll see you next week. I tell you the truth. I will not give this generation any such shot. Oh, man, I'm so cold. <laughs>